God is the one who gave us divorce. Mm. It wasn't a, um, a, that we're, something we've imposed on marriage. God gave a let out for the victim of a marriage. Mm. It isn't the person who breaks the, um, the vows that mm. decides they're supposed to get divorced. Mm. In the Bible, it's only the victim who can decide that they can be divorced. So the person who is being abused, the person who has been abandoned, mm. the person who's been adulterated against, the victims, they can say, I, I, I can forgive, I can forgive, I can forgive, I, but I, after a time, mm. I'm just forgiving in order that you can sin more. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to uh, another episode of The Naked Gospel, where we explore, imagine, and re-envision what it looks like to follow Jesus and to actually know his gospel with our bodies, with our affections, with our boredom, with our relationships, and in particular with our sexuality. I am your host, Shane O'Neill, and I am joined by, oh, this is fun to say, okay, the the Reverend Dr. David Instone Brewer. There's something aesthetically playing about saying that name. I, I just, I just like it. Um, and he, uh, he's a an honorary research fellow at Tyndale House, which is a research library located at Cambridge, uh, England. Um, which means he's he's super smart, and he's dedicated his life to knowing God through his written witness through the Bible. Uh, but not just that, he's also a practitioner. He's not just kind of a guy up in the uh, ivory tower um, who studies God's word, but he, he's really like wrestled with people. He was a, a minister, well, he is still ordained, but he was he was a, 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 a practicing minister uh, with, a, with a group, with a body for something like a decade, uh, which means he knows what it's like to wrestle and to fail and to see pain and to see hurt. Uh, which brings us to his, well, I don't know if it's his latest work, but it's a work that came out recently through Lexham Press. It's called Moral Questions of the Bible. Uh, I got it recently. I read it recently, and it is so easy to read. It is really quite cool. He gets in and out uh, with cultural issues. He doesn't try and dazzle you as he's, uh, as he's writing and as he's informing, but he goes after some really tough topics like abortion and slavery uh, politics, uh, divorce, some like really gnarly stuff, but stuff that's really present for us today. Um, because when I look at the world around me, I, I need to know what does God think about the world around me? I need to know what it looks like to inhabit the world around me and what it actually means to follow Jesus. And this resource, Moral Questions of the Bible, uh, goes a long way in helping us with that. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with somebody you think would enjoy it as well. Um, reviews are always welcome. Uh, but getting all of that aside, uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really cool to have you on. Uh, great to be with you. I um, I I just basically kind of just curious right off the bat, uh, what what precipitated the writing of this book? Uh, yeah, I, did, I just got, I guess knowing kind of the genesis uh, and the seed of this. I do a column every month for Christianity magazine, which is like the Christianity Today, but in the UK. Mm. Of course, being in the UK is a little bit smaller than Christianity Today, but it's roughly the same sort of idea. Yeah. And I, I do the Bible column. I do a double page spread every month. Mm. And uh, there's so many times when I'm dealing with things which people want to know about. What does the Bible say about this particular thing? How do we live our lives nowadays mm. when the Bible's 
hey, it's old. Yeah, you know, it's yes. back a few thousand years, yeah. and the world has changed. Yeah, can we work out what one should do, how one should live today? Yeah. So all the chapters are sort of coffee break chapters. You know, they, you can read them during a coffee break, and you've got something really juicy yeah. and important in one chapter. Yeah. And that, that, that's why I write my columns. That's why I write my chapters. That's really neat. Yeah, I, I noticed that when I was reading it, I was uh, I was thinking. Uh, one, some of these sections are only two, three pages long. Uh, and so one, the brevity of it. But then when I'm reading it, I'm like, I, I didn't know that or I didn't know that, too. You know, and I just keep reading and I'm learning things. Uh, but you did it so succinctly. And so I, I just really appreciate this work. So it's cool that that it's modeled after that. And you took it sounds like you took some of that experience and weaved it into this book. Hey, I, I see congregations get bored in front of me <laughs> yes. and you've got to do something. <laughs> yeah, it can't happen. <laughs> yes. Very cool. Very cool. Um We'll touch on that. Okay, we'll touch on that in the end. Do you mind if we just jump right in? I I, uh, I want to jump right in because you have a bunch of different sections. One one section that is um, particularly pertinent for us is the the, uh, the section on sexuality. Um, I I suppose setting the stage is in order. Um, I, I find myself often pulled in two different directions. One people, in one sense, people look at our current culture and they're like, wow, it is so sexualized. Um, and that's people kind of evaluating it, looking at it. And then uh, those who are more maybe millennials who live within it. And for them, they don't know any different. And so for them, it's just like, well, it's not that sexual. It's just like, that's just what dating means. And that's what, at least that's how we date. We date through apps and we hook up and this is how we just engage relationships. Um, and so in one sense, people are like, wow, this is the case. And in another sense, people are just like, what are you talking about? Um, but I think both of them are, are rather pertinent because that's what, what seems to be what's happening in Scripture. Paul, when he's writing to Corinth, he's really challenging the way that they live. And I think that there is a lot of overlap when it comes to our sexualized culture and that they had a sexualized culture, too, and that Scripture is engaging that. Uh, but I don't, I don't think a lot of people necessarily know that. So would you mind just walking us through the New Testament landscape when it comes to sexuality? Yeah, I live more in the first century than in the 21st century. Yeah. That's uh, where I, my thinking happens. Yeah. And so there, certainly, you've got completely different worlds. In Palestine, you've got a very moralistic society, somewhat changing because the Romans have come in and uh, they want to have prostitutes. And so when Jesus said, this is the most adulterous generation ever, he's not kidding. It, it suddenly changed. Uh, outside Palestine, you've got a completely different world. Uh, you've got monogamy, that is, you, you only marry one person at a time, though you quickly change partners later. But uh, the, the husband wasn't expected to stay within his house. You know, he had mistresses, he went to the, the, the local brothel, and uh, that was mm. normal. But of course, the wife had to stay in the house and had to be good. Mm. Uh, a very sexualized society, as you wow. say. Uh, in uh, Herculaneum, we know they had as many brothels as we have pubs. Mm. And they, it was just part of society. Mm. But in Palestine, very, very different. And in the Old Testament, of course, again, a, a very state society in, in some senses. Mm. But you had slaves, and slaves you do whatever you want with outside of Palestine. But inside Palestine, there were rules. Mm. So how did... Um I mean, how does that how does that then impact the church? Paul is ov obviously at different points, seemingly going after sexual immorality. But we we even look at that phrase, and I don't know if we necessarily even know what it means. So when he's going after these congregations, what kind of is is he? So it seems like uh, I, I guess I'll use antagonistic language in a sense that that maybe Jews were seen as kind of sexually prudish. 
and and then maybe the Greco-Roman world a little bit more liberated when it came to sexuality, um, which is interesting. Just looking at those those two frames, um, and so is Paul is Paul speaking out of that prudishness, or is is Paul intentionally laying down what it looks like to follow Jesus with our bodies and with our relationships and sexuality? Paul, I think, would have been shocked by nothing in this society, mm. though we might be shocked by things in his society. Mm. Remember in Corinth, they were saying, hey, look, this this man, perhaps he's gone beyond the pale, or, or living, uh, sleeping with his mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing like that in our churches. Yeah. Uh, or Nero, when he wanted to shock his um, compa- uh, contemporaries, mm. he married a slave, mm. and he was dressed as a woman. Mm. And they consummated the marriage in front of the witnesses, wow. in front of the the, the congregation. Wow. You know, it's just completely beyond anything that we experience. Mm. So Paul, yes, he might be speaking out of prudishness in the sense of coming from a Jewish society, mm. but he could see it all in front mm. of him. There was nothing new for him, nothing which would have shocked him in our society. Mm. So you you intentionally go after this particular question. I think it's a, a good question. Um, can people who have a jacked up uh, sexual past be forgiven by Jesus and brought into his family? Uh, I don't think people necessarily speak in those terms, but I do think we think in those terms and we feel in those terms. Mm-hmm. A lot of us do have really beat up pasts, and a lot of us have been addicted to pornography that's kind of culturally ubiquitous today, um, but so is hooking up and having multiple partners. Um, so what... Yeah, what would Paul or Jesus have to say to our generation and those who are trying to figure out, do I have a place in his family, in Jesus's family? We've made something very special of sex, and that's the right thing to do. We've said we talk about one flesh and that being a permanent union, and so nothing should break that. And that's great. But we have to recognize that other things happen. Mm. And certainly Paul used that phrase, one flesh, Mm. about coming together sexually. Mm. But he knew that virtually everyone who became a Christian had had a very varied background. Mm. When when a a boy became around about 14, Mm. they would give him a ring to wear. And you see these in the museums uh, throughout the UK and, and other places around Europe. Uh, because uh, there's so many of them a little ring and the symbol on it is an erect phallus Mm. it's to remind the boy go and do what boys do go and do what young men do you're a man now and then from 14 onwards this is and by the time he gets married he will have been expected to have um, played the field as we say Mm. so when he gets married you can't say to him, there's only one sexual union you, you've got to be of one flesh. That, that's, that's that first prostitute, that mm. one flesh. Mm. No, Jesus brings in forgiveness, which really does wipe the board for us mm. and makes us clean again. Mm. So we can start again mm. and with our new bride, with our new mm. husband, we can be a, a virtuous, clean person, cleaned by Jesus. That's that's a be- that's a beautiful point because you do have that there. So you have that incident in Corinth. Uh, the guy is sleeping with his mom, his his dad's mm-hmm. wife, and then you you have Paul like strongly rebu- rebuke that, like just like no, like that they like, they don't even do that out there. You guys are doing it in here. That's crazy. It should not be the case. 
uh, cast him out from your midst. But then you have there in Second Corinthians, Paul is saying like like he's mm. he's chastised and he's in repentance. Bring him back in, you know, bring him back in. There's a place for him in the household of faith. But then you've got that that because I've never necessarily seen that incident in the context of Second Corinthians five, where it talks about he made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, uh, Paul, I don't know how how intentional, but nonetheless, it's it's uh, side by side where it's like this sin, Jesus became that, right? And uh, and Jesus Jesus died to give his righteousness to that person who's committing that sin. So that's quite beautiful when it's juxtapositioned that way. And in Ephesians, when Jesus is marrying the church, uh, everything looks exactly like uh, a Jewish marriage, all the things that it's talking about, except it says he washes his bride. And there's no groom goes around bathing the bride before the wedding. But Jesus washes us before our marriage Hmm. and cleans us completely. And that's uh, such a a wonderful thing to know, that we come to a marriage cleansed of our sexual past. Amen. And so we we come as uh, as another virgin. Yeah. So even in the Old Testament, when uh, God is remarrying Israel, uh, Isaiah says, I will marry her as a virgin bride. Mm-hmm. And you know what Israel had done during the, the, the Old Testament times yeah. under every tree with every goddess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm actually glad you brought that up because a lot of people will be, say, I, I like Jesus, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. But the kind of wholesale nationwide prostitution that uh that israel would embark on for generations and then god god of course like saying like no like that's not what my people do but when they come back to him he is so quick to receive them and to make them pure again to make them his and he just wants them i mean it's hard to read something like hosea and not see god's heart bleeding out for his people while at the same time his longing for his people you know I'm glad you brought that up. When when Jesus says forgiving seven times, 70 times, Mm. what any Jew would think of is all that adultery by Israel Mm. uh, for Mm. seven seven times 70 years. That is, uh, uh, 70 Sabbath years, they completely neglected God and they went after all all the other gods. And so they... Uh, seven times 70 forgivenesses in a Jewish mind is all those sexual sins being forgiven wow. by God of wow. Israel. Oh, that's cool. I I had no idea. That's I, I like you. This is neat. Okay. I, I want to... Um, you have a, a category on sex, sex during singleness, and a lot of people, uh, Christian Christians, have... have handled this differently um what what did you find as you were studying when it comes to sex in singleness uh and what singleness should look like when it comes to practicing sexuality it the the big thing is masturbation of course yes yes and when you look in the bible it's not there it's not mentioned it really isn't yeah and i was really surprised to find that even people like Dobson actually recognized that when he looks at it. I found an amazing quotes from him saying, look, this this is not such a big deal. This Mm. is, he almost talks about it as just emotional release. And we've made it into a big thing. Mm. As long as there isn't an objectivization of another person, Mm. it's just part of a bodily function. Mm. And I don't know what the Bible says about it because it doesn't. It doesn't say anything. And the mm. only thing is this Onan person, and it's got nothing to do with masturbation. Mm. Uh, Onan is just uh, refusing to let his 
uh, step son, in effect, mm. inherit part of the goods that his son would get. Mm. And he, he just didn't want to divide up his estate. It was mm. an eco- economical thing. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that James Dobson had, uh, had you know, said those things. Cause he's really quite forward mm. about it. Um, and I found mm. that you, that that was quite helpful. Uh, I know a lot of people will feel even a great deal of shame from something like, like even just nocturnal wet dreams, you know? Uh, <laughs> and it's like, well, there's literally no volition. Like if I were... If I were evil and I was trying to assault you, I'd make you feel bad for something like that. You know, you wake up and your day is ruined because you feel guilty about this thing you couldn't control in your dream. Um, But even when it comes to volitional, like uh, during the day, practicing it and engaging in it, um, I I liked that you that you separated the two because you're like, okay, like, sure, like masturbation is one thing, but an entirely different thing is uh, is acting lustfully. Right. And scripture has quite a bit to say about that, uh, even lust without masturbation. Like Jesus has something to say about about fantasy and fantasizing and intentionally taking people in in the in the worlds of our imagination, doing what we want with them, things that we wouldn't be able to do with them physically. Um, and I liked that you that you demarcate that and and say, like, yes, like lust. The scripture has so much to say about that. Masturbation is the like scripture has nothing to say about that. Yeah, and what scripture doesn't talk about, we shouldn't really invent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a big point. I think there are. I, I liked it. I liked it in particular because um, there are ways that people can infer. For instance, uh, people can wrestle with the question of can you really masturbate without lusting? You know, and that's a conversation worth having. Um, but I like your point because you're saying that we're conflating the two, and there should be a proper conversation. Uh, about the two as separate categories and engaging them that way. And I think, uh, I think on a personal level, I, I, you know, I've confessed sexual sin to people before and the times that I've been most challenged haven't been the times like I've gotten the whole, like, wow, you've masturbated, like shame on you, you know? Um, but the times I've been most challenged where Jesus has actually come in and done work have been when, when those people didn't say that they would, they would feel what I said, so they would feel the weight that I was feeling, the guilt of it, and then they would ask me something like, to what, or why did you do that, or like those kinds of questions where it's actually much more invasive and it, it requires to be much more honest, and that's actually engaging lust. It's not engaging the act of masturbation. It's engaging what my heart is longing for and the fantasies and genres of fantasies that I'm creating in my imagination that Jesus rebukes in the Sermon on the Mount. So I, I really, I just liked that section. So I, yeah. Just thank you for bringing it up. Yeah, I I, I do want to. Did you have something you wanted to say just there? Sorry, I was just thinking. When was the last time I heard a sermon on masturbation? I know. <laughs> the next time you teach, David. The next time you teach. Um, no, not me. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Let me come off on the rotor for someone else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I come across one, I'll let you know because I've never heard one. I've n- I've never heard one. Um, so when it comes to, uh, I want to jump, jump into polygamy. Uh, gosh, that sounds, all right. Uh, I want to get into polygamy. Now there's really no way to say this. So when it deals with polygamy, a lot of people will say that there's maybe a duplicity on God's part, um, where you see, um, like, like one person, fidelity, faithful relationships in the new Testament, but in the old Testament, like a lot of wives. So it seems like there's this kind of progressive revelation 
or this this um, development in God's morality. A lot of people have used that different ways. When you look at the polygamy uh, in, in the Old Testament, but then the sexual ethic presented in the New Testament, um, how do you how do you reconcile that and walk? Yeah, just walk us through it. I, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, you could see it as a progressive revelation that uh, it used to be uh, p- polygamous, and then gradually. Um, the society learns through God's uh, interaction that no, no, it should be only one man, one woman. But I don't think that's the case with polygamy, because uh, as Jesus points out very rightly, in the beginning, it was a uh, one man, one woman. You know, God gave the pattern right from the start. But you do have in society in the Old Testament an awful lot of warfare and an awful lot of accidents. Uh, you have men being killed at an early age Mm. and you have women left over Mm. and one way of curing that is to allow polygamy Mm. and the the laws uh, actually demand polygamy in one situation where if the man dies and there's no child so the line is just going to come to an end and they're going to lose the land which comes that they've inherited as part of uh, the conquest Mm. uh, then the brother-in-law should Mm. come and help that woman have Mm. a child so Mm. that she can then have inheritance and uh, have a pension in effect. Mm. Uh, And and that's a a law that's made to help the woman and to help that family. So that enforces polygamy, which is weird Mm. as far as we're concerned. Uh, But when you get to the New Testament, you have this very clear one man, one woman. And what's changed in the meantime is Augustus, the Emperor Augustus, brought an end to warfare. Hmm. We think of the Romans as being soldiers and killing people, but throughout the Roman Empire, there was peace. It was only war right at the edges Hmm. where the empire was still growing. And this peace, this Augustan peace, meant there was only one man for every woman, Hmm. because that's the way we're born, 50-50. And Jesus said, no, there shouldn't be this polygamy, because there are a lot of men who were not able to afford a wife, because rich men grab them up first mm. and uh, the, there should be only one man one woman so I, I see the polygamy as something that was there for a purpose in the Old Testament and that purpose disappeared later what I hear you saying um, so just gu- guide my thinking on this so what I hear you saying is in the Old Testament um, there was a, a really a cultural necessity for polygamy um, when it came to warfare but also just like the the, the value of women as commodities and so for instance if a man dies in war his brother like is is lawfully necessitated to marry his uh his brother's wife so as to protect her and give her uh give her protection but then also give her offspring because that was a way of dignifying women is that what i hear you saying yeah the the principle i think is the Uh, found in Psalms. The Lord sets the lonely in families. Mm. The Lord wants us to be able to be grouped together and support each other. For most people that would be for for most people that would be marriage, not for everyone. Mm. Other people form relationships in other ways. They form very good friendship bonds. But for most people it's marriage. And to have people left on the one side because the, the men have died or because uh, the men are rich and have bought up all the w- women, so to speak, yeah. that is wrong in God's mind. Mm. So it's not that God has changed his mind over the mm. time of the Bible. Mm. He's got this one principle, that the lonely should be set in families. Mm. And uh, he changes the rules mm. to make that principle, which doesn't change, apply in all those societies. Amen. 
So uh, today, something like polyamory. Um, are you familiar with that word, polyamory? I think you'll have to tell me what it means. It's it's basically um, uh, sex with multiple partners, and it's 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 uh, it's love. It, they, they would it would they would say that those who practice would say love with multiple partners. Um, so it's not just. Um, it's not just sexual, right? It's not just like you getting off with multiple sexual partners, but like living in some kind of, uh, some kind of community, some kind of small community um, with multiple partners, and you're having uh, kind of that that group sex, that group dynamic, um, and that's becoming much more popular amongst. Um, uh, well, I mean, it, it's something that like Christian today. I saw that they did an article about it, and it's becoming something that's much more popular because, uh, well. Probably because it feels good, you know, to have multiple partners, um, and so that's that's the closest thing that I have to poly- like. We probably have to polygamy today, but I think that it's it's important because that's a very it's a very popular alternative right now because people are realizing that hookup culture gives them pleasure, but it doesn't give them belonging, and so there's this polyamorous way of living of having multiple loves many loves where uh many partners that we have sex with um would you say that i, I know this this term is is nudia but it, it sounds like the the concept um is still something that's that's touched on in scripture when it comes to um that's something about uh a man and woman fidelity like something about that relationship in covenant is important um could you play out the the significance of just one man with one woman um, as it pertains to scripture and why, why God thinks that's important. You know, the, the concept of course is not new. Uh, it uh, reminds me rough, uh, roughly of my childhood in the sixties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fair. Yes. And then yeah. And then the swingers. Yeah. And so it, this is certainly not a new thing. Sure. And in the old Testament, of course, you didn't just have, wives, you also had concubines. Mm-hmm. Uh, concubine is something that wasn't invented in the Old Testament. It's something that came in from other cultures and was, you know, wasn't actually condemned, but it wasn't encouraged either. Mm. And a concubine is um, as someone that you have a long-term relationship with. She lives in your house, but you haven't married her. Mm. Uh, the, mm. In the ancient Near East, the definition of a marriage was you say vows to each other mm. with witnesses. Mm. And a concubine, you haven't said any vows to, mm. and she she doesn't she isn't owed anything. You can say goodbye to her at some point. You can give her a gift like Abraham gave Hagar, but that's uh, a benefit. It's mm. not a requirement. Mm. And uh, you, you had that weird. sort of thing already in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, uh, you were allowed to have more than one wife in Palestine, but not in the rest of the Roman Empire. Mm. So this, these sort of arrangements have been around for an awful long time, mm. and you, apparently there's still some in Mormon yeah. areas. Sure. Yeah, so, but as you say, that it's also happening in all sorts of um, unofficial ways, mm. uh, beyond the legal boundaries. Yeah. But it's not just that the relationship between one man and one woman is so special. It's also the legal relationships that are built into our society. They are for the benefit of the husband and the wife. Mm. You know, the, a wife who isn't married, you know, just, uh, someone who's just living with a husband, uh, what happens when it breaks up? Does she get the child? Does mm. he get the child? Mm. Does she get support? If there's a marriage involved, then the law is there to mm. sort out things like that. And it, mm. it's, it's helpful. Mm. We see it as a burden, 
But no, it's a burden because the, the, the rich guy often loses out and he should lose out because yeah. he's probably gone off with the younger model. Mm. So I, I, I encourage people, if they're going to be living together, why not get married? It's only going to cost you a hundred bucks. Mm. You don't have to have a big wedding yeah. you need to get married. Yeah. You, you know, do you really love that person and you're saying you don't want to do that? Mm. Come on. Mm. But the, these multiple groups, I. I, I remember the, the hippie communities. They just fell out. Yeah. You know, you, you, it's great when you're young and you sort of, mm. I, I, and then the jealousy comes in and then the backbiting and then, then the, uh, mm. I, oh, I, you, you know, you, you've heard about him, haven't you? And, and it all breaks up. Yeah. And these communities didn't last very long. Yeah. I, I'd be interested to know if there's any community like that that lasts more than a decade. Yeah. But marriages you can go on and on and on and get deeper and deeper. Mm. And that's beautiful. Amen, dude. I, I, re- I really like that. So when it comes to um, marrying unbelievers, um, well, let, uh, let me spell that out a little bit. So uh, one person believes that Jesus is Lord marrying somebody who doesn't believe Jesus is Lord. Because I don't just want to use the, the cultural jargon of uh, unbelievers and believers. Um, what um, Paul specifically talks about that, uh, but as you point out, it's it's brought up within a specific context. Would you tell us your context and tell us if there are any principles that aren't just subject to the context that we can that we can extract and 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 place within our own culture and appreciate them that way? Yeah, in uh, Roman society and also in Jewish society, you just can't marry outside. It was impossible. Uh, a Jew would always marry another Jew. In the divorce certificates, you say um, you are now free to marry anyone you wish, mm. but they allowed people to write in, you are allowed to marry any Jewish man you wish, mm. because that, that, that was a, a strict rule. You couldn't go outside that. And even if you're a Roman, you can marry anyone, but whoever marries you has to worship your gods. Mm. That's the way in which you keep harmony in mm. Roman society. You all worship each other's gods. You, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be exclusive. You just add them into well, whoever you, you do worship. Mm. And so, if a Christian is marrying a non-Christian in Roman society, they have to worship that person's gods, mm. which is impossible. You can't. You can't have a marriage like that for a Christian. Mm. And if a Jew is going to be marrying, they, they've, so the, the assumption is always that you're going to be marrying someone of your faith. Mm. And of course, for Christians, it's going to be exactly the same. Mm. So when Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 7, uh, that uh, the widow is available to marry whoever she wishes in the Lord, mm. he's actually quoting that same divorce certificate. Mm. Uh, he's saying, yeah, you've got the same rights as a divorcee. You can marry anyone you wish. And then he adds in, like the Jews added into their divorce mm. certificate, uh, they said any Jewish man, he said anyone in the Lord. Interesting. Because uh, you, you're going to cause yourself problems otherwise. Mm. Mm. But that is that society. And are we different now? Mm. And there was a very good reason for Paul to have said that mm. in that society, because he, uh, someone would have had to marry uh, someone of the same religion, otherwise they'd be worshipping the, the gods from outside that religion. Yeah. But what about us as Christians? If we marry someone who isn't yet a Christian, that doesn't mean that we suddenly have to worship these right. non-gods. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and even, I, I, I don't advise anyone to marry a non-Christian. I don't advise anyone to marry a Muslim or whatever. But yeah. if you did, that doesn't constrain you to joining in. Mm-hmm. So it's a different situation. 
But having said that, it it just is so difficult to live your life. You want to share everything you can with your husband or wife, and to not be able to share your faith with them is is so sad. And you, you see lots of people in church coming along on their own to church, leaving their husband behind or leaving their wife behind because they don't share their faith. And it is a sadness. So I would advise against it, but it's not a rule in that you have the reason for that rule in the New Testament, but you you would otherwise have to marry. So you would otherwise have to share their religion. In the Old Testament, remember, people did marry outside Israel. The Jews didn't have to marry Jews in the Old Testament. Uh, David, his parents, a Moabites, mm. and Boaz, then had Jesse, or um, Rahab. Rahab wasn't a Jewish Jewish woman; she was a Canaanite. Yeah, you didn't have to marry within the faith in the Old Testament. So clearly, it's not a universal rule from God, mm. but it's a rule in the New Testament because of that reason that they would have to share their religion. There would be a sharing of gods. That that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And and in some sense, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it wouldn't be necessarily. You'd probably use a different metric. But using a different metric, you probably could argue that uh, that there's a potentially a, a, a similar kind of thing taking place today of, of sharing gods. Like the idea that maybe we we all worship something. You know, and just because we don't call them gods doesn't mean that we're not worshiping them, um, or th- that we're not worshippers. And I, I do see that with my peers when it comes to either th- their work or money, um, financial uh, financial freedom and liberty, uh, or just entertainment. Like just like those things are are major uh, captivators of our hearts and we orient our lives around them. So I, I really, I think that, that, uh, kind of cultural excavation is really quite helpful. And I, I, that's what I like about your book so much. It's, uh, it's like, well, this is, this is what it's saying. Um, and this is, it, this isn't necessarily what it's not saying. It's this, this is, this is the landscape. And there are a lot of inferences from there, but we do need to know where we're starting, right? Because if we don't know where we're starting, then like our trajectory is always going to be off as we try and move forward. And I, I, that's what I most appreciate. I wanted to, so when I, yeah, I must say that one of the things that um, you you might start to think is, oh well, you can get anything out of the Bible you want, you know. Oh, they're, they're, they, you, you don't like that bit? Well, that's not necessarily a rule. Mm. That's not the way it works. And there's mm. some very clear guidelines. And in the book, I give some the, the methodology yeah. by which you can figure out: is this an eternal rule that's forever, mm. or is this something that's for that culture and something else might be for our culture? Mm. And I give very clear guidelines as to how you can figure that out. Yes. And it's is not a oh let's just make up our minds and let, let's just uh forget yeah. about that bit and we'll keep that bit no yes. there's some very clear guidelines yeah and you're very <laughs> yes you're you're meticulous with the way you approach it and it's beautiful i i i like it i like it through and through i do want to um our time is dwindling but i do want to i do want to touch on uh, divorce for a minute. So when I, I, I think I came across you personally first on um, the Unbelievable podcast, uh-huh. uh, and then when I when I look you up, it, you um, some of the videos that come up first are you engaging the issue of divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like you've been really intentional to go after that, which makes me curious about how Jesus um, um, 
intentionally said, you know, taught you to go after that particular issue. But it seems like some of your teachings there have been really encouraging and life-giving to a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of other people have reacted to you and your teachings there. But when it comes to uh, divorce, um, I, let's see, I'm 30, I'm engaged. Um, when I was in my 20s, I dated two women who were divorced. And I, I was a Christian, and, and that was something like I, had to, I had to work through. But they were also working through that, too, when you envision a life with someone else, and then all of a sudden, um, a tragedy hits, and, and not necessarily tragedy by way of fatality, but just tragedy, relational uh, um, tragedy, and all of a sudden they they have to they're stripped away from that those dreams and those imaginings, and they find themselves you know divorced, um, and wondering mm. what Jesus has to say about them. Uh, I, I would I would yeah I would love if you'd speak into that for a minute. Yeah, well, clearly God's ideal uh, is uh, the same as our ideal, that we yeah. meet the perfect person straight away yes. and hit it off and nothing goes wrong. Happily and ever after. Stay married and grow all together. Yeah. Yeah, only. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, good on you for dating those girls who were divorced at such an early age because they must have felt completely rejected by society and by by Christians. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you, you could have dated anyone, I'm sure, but, mm. uh, you know, yeah. uh, and you decided to date them. Mm. Uh, and it's a very, very sad situation yeah. when people find themselves at the end of a marriage like that. Mm. But we have to remember that God is the one who gave us divorce. Mm. It wasn't a, um, a, that we're, something we've imposed on marriage. God gave a let out for the victim of a marriage. Mm. It isn't the person who breaks the um, the vows that mm. decides they're supposed to get divorced. Mm. In the Bible, it's only the victim who can decide that mm. they can be divorced. So the person who is being abused, the person who has been abandoned, mm. the person who's been adulterated against, the victims, they can say, I, I, I can forgive, I can forgive, I can forgive, I, but I, after a time, mm. I'm just forgiving in order that you can sin more. I see. And Jesus said it's for that hard-heartedness, that unrepentant going on sinning mm. that God gave us divorce mm. so that the victim can be free from that terrible marriage. Mm. Mm. Um, in particular, you look at, I, I think, because, uh, I mean, even Jesus said that, right? Uh, sexual sexual immorality. Um, and you so you hit on, you touch on sexual immorality in 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 marriage, uh, as well as abandonment and abuse, and uh, you're, I, I, I like it because that's uh, you. You can't help but see your pastoral side come out, where it's like, yeah, this man is, uh, he's a. Uh, yeah, I'm not doing it. Just saying, oh well, you know, let's let them off. Th yeah. This is. I, I look really carefully at what Jesus is talking about, yeah. and he's being asked about a particular verse in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24.1, and saying, you know, there, there's two different grounds of, for divorce there, isn't there? Mm. There's adultery and there's any cause. Mm. What? What? Any cause? Mm. Well, yeah, the Pharisees, the Hillelite Pharisees, they found this new ground for divorce because mm. it says you can get divorced for a matter of indecency. Mm. And they say, indecency? Yeah, that's adultery. Matter? Matter? It doesn't say what kind of matter. Oh, it's any matter, anything. Mm. And they, get, they invented this new kind of divorce for any cause. Mm. They come to Jesus and say, is it okay to get divorced for any cause? Mm. And he says, no, that's not in Scripture. Mm. That, that, that verse is only talking about sexual immorality. Mm. 
And we misread that because we don't know that there's a thing called an any cause divorce. Mm. We think, oh, he's being asked, can you get divorced for anything? You know, are any divorces okay? Yes. <laughs> he's wow. being asked about this specific thing, any cause divorce. Mm. He says, no, that's not in scripture. Mm. What's written in that verse is sexual immorality. But what we don't read is what every Jew believed, and Jesus believed, presumably, mm. the other causes for divorce, mm. for not supplying food and clothing, for not supplying love, for not looking after your spouse. Mm. That was a ground for divorce that was written into every Jewish marriage contract that we found from the first century. Mm. And Jesus doesn't say that's wrong. Presumably, he agreed with it. Every other Jew agreed with it. Mm. No one regarded that as wrong, they all saw that abandonment and abuse were mm. grounds for divorce. Mm. And Jesus doesn't deny that. Mm. Mm. That's helpful. That's really that's really helpful. It's been uh, really helpful. And in a sense, a, a kind of a teaser trailer working through these issues with you. I would encourage anyone listening to check out this book. Um, and I, I do, in a sense, want to end, uh, want to end the way we started. Um, that there, that Jesus's gospel is for the sexually immoral. I, you start, you share that that story about evangelism, um, and there, uh, I think a friend had shared it with you about they were evangelizing, maybe singing on the steps of some mm-hmm. church. Would you mind just sharing that story? Because I, no, I guess, yeah, it's, but, but they they wanted to have an outdoor evangelistic service, so they decided instead of being inside the church singing they'd stand on the steps and they'd sing and they'd hand out tracts and and they, 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 the young guy was handing out tracts down the bottom of the steps and uh, inviting people to come and join and so this obviously woman of the street you know mm. walking past with, with her fishnet stockings and that and he goes and says come on come and join us and and she, she's sort of heartened by the the warmth of this uh, invitation and, and one of the elders saw has to go over to him and say no 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 not that sort of person mm, yeah uh, yeah it was a heartbreaking story i remember reading that and i was like oh man yeah so i i uh i i do i i think that a lot of us have probably grown up with that in one way or another and to know that jesus's body was broken for our bodies and even in again a context of a man sleeping with his mom paul is pointing out that jesus was made sin our sin uh, so that we could inherit and become his righteousness it's really it's identity language you know it's not just theoretical it's 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 identity language and i i love that jesus he sees and still loves and we have to remember jesus was unmarried because his parentage wasn't secure Hmm. you know no jewish father would let his daughter marry someone who was conceived before mm. marriage, you know, who might be a, a mamzer in Jewish mm. terms, a bastard in our yeah. language. Yeah. And Jesus was a walking witness of his own scandal, his, his own sexual Dude, that's misidentity. So I'd never thought of Jesus having to live with that growing up, like name calling or people whispering about him. I've never considered that. Yeah. No, in John 8, you have the heckler who shouts out, at least we know who our father is. Whoa, that's big. Okay. 
that's really good okay okay i uh you're you're uh the kind of guy that i i could nerd out with for far too long um so uh, dr instant brewer thank you so much for being with us we always ask two questions at the end one how can our listeners how can our viewers uh track with you well, what are you up to how can they track with you and two uh how can we pray for you uh just generally speaking as we go on in our day how can we be praying for you well uh www biblecontexts.com mm-hmm. Bible contexts so, so with an s at the end more than one context you can read chapters from my books um at, at, i think there's four up every month new one every week mm-hmm. uh, with a short video as well if you're not a reader mm-hmm. and uh you uh, you can get go through all the books for free that way mm-hmm. uh, but hopefully you want to buy one as well <laughs> so that's www.biblecontexts.com and pray for me i i want more time although i've retired i still running out of time all the time so i got i'm doing wonderful things on uh, stepbible.org where you can read the greek and hebrew without knowing any greek or hebrew and lots and lots of other bibles but i also am carrying on with the bible context project and uh, bringing out uh, new books and there's one on science now and then next i'm coming out on literature and the jewishness of jesus and mm. yeah Lots of good things going on. So I, I want one of those time turners from yeah. Uh, Hermione. Yeah, you're. Uh, I, I love hearing how har- how full your heart is with zeal. I uh, just thank you for sharing yourself with us. Thank you for being with us. I'll I'll um, have all of those links in the show notes, uh, so those who are listening can check those out. But thank you, thank you for being with us today. Really appreciate you. Ah, uh, it's great talking to you. Yeah, guys, thank you uh, for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Uh, Dr. Instone Brewer, um, well, he has a, an erudition that I, I just, you know, it's been fun to fumble around, but we're fumbling around with God's truth and God invites us to wrestle with him through this stuff. Um, I would, again, recommend his book. All the stuff that he just mentioned uh, will be in the show notes. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tracking with us. And we will catch you all next time.